blackboard banter on the board with your hosts matt middleton and kevin rayner where the banter's as ferocious as game ones that include edmonton the last two rounds man i mean 29 goals in their first two game ones of the last two series is just wild kind of sucks that they lost those games but hey they got through Calgary, didn't they? So maybe they'll turn this series around against the Avalanche. But 29 goals? A little crazy. Absolutely wild. And, like, McDavid is just a monster. You're never really out of a game with him. The one gripe that I'm going to take away from that Colorado-Edmonton game was Kale McCarr was definitely offside. If you don't consider that puck control, I don't know if you ever played and or watched hockey ever in your life. Because the puck was never more than maybe an inch and a half off his stick. Just the struggles for officiating these days. We're always, you know, making sure that they hit the hit the exact right thing, and that could be a wrong call there, my friends. Dude, it was totally wrong. I'm sorry. That's how you play hockey. You push the puck forward. It's not on your stick a hundred percent of the time. I don't know, man. I'm just. I'm just frustrated about that one. <laughs> Classic frustration, but hey, at least you can have the opposite of frustration and some exciting, I mean, we, we expected this to happen, but Marty, St. Louis, officially the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens for Matt. He's happy, but I mean, we all knew this was coming at this point. Dude, it was it was expected. It was as expected as, you know, Boston beating <laughs> Golden State, or uh, not Golden State, which they will, but I mean, Boston beating Miami in the, the last round there in the conference finals. I mean... Miami did get to Game 7 for you. They were nice and close. That Jimmy Butler 3, the Max Struess takeaway 3. You had your opportunities, my friend. At least we had a good game as well. We finally had a banger between these two. Like, what a weird series leading up to it. But, man, we'll, we'll talk about the Jimmy shot later. We'll talk about the, the Struess 3 that was taken away because there's a little bit of controversy But Matt over here, still waiting on Boston in six. He's pretty confident. I don't know. I mean, Boston are probably going to win this, but it's Golden State. Either way, we're here. We're back. It's the NBA Finals, Matt. Yeah, man. It's the NBA Finals. And I don't know if you could call Game 7 a banger, you know, when Boston, like, started blowing them out early. I don't want to get too far into it. Um, <laughs> let's let's jump into the NHL, uh, you know, do a little quick round off there. Uh, the Avs, I mean, they put away the Blues like I like I predicted. I didn't think, you know, the Blues were going to give them too much trouble, and they didn't. Um, Rangers coming back on Carolina was not something Huge. I expected. Um, I guess Carolina's goalies just really ran out of magic. They're obviously missing their starting goalie, um, and we're, you know, doing it with the backups, but you know, clock struck midnight on those Cinderella stories, and, and they're gone. The Rangers and Igor Shosturkin, that guy is a monster. He had, like, a won five goals against average in the last series. Just crazy good. And for them to come out and stun the bolts, right, to take a game one in the fashion that they did, I mean, I know a lot of people are... I mean, what, what was the comment that the the Bolts manager said? If, even if we had both goalies in, we couldn't have stopped the Rangers. Like, you know, people ripping on Vasilevsky just to open the series. Like, relax, guys. You know, they're the Lightning. They may be tired. They may have been on this crazy long streak. And maybe this is just game one. But the Rangers came out and they, they swung hard. Yeah, and they honestly had a lot of time off comparatively to the Rangers. So the Rangers are coming off a hard-fought seven-game <laughs> series. The Bolts had, you know, a little bit of like, a, I think, a week break after their four-game sweep of, of the Panther, Panthers. Yeah. So there's definitely the rust factor in game one is how I'm seeing it. And 
as the series wears on, I can see, you know, the bolts coming back and kind of wearing them down. But I actually think the Rangers are probably going to win this one. I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to get an, an Avs-Rangers final with the, the Avs finally taking this one, man. Because they've been predicted as, you know, Stanley Cup favorites for the last two seasons, three seasons now. And I think it's it's their time. I mean, my boy JT would be hyped for the Rangers to get through the Lightning. But, you know, we talk about the Avs coming out to that lead, that 1-0 lead. It's to be expected, you know. Allison has cared a lot less about this series. Now that the Battle of Alberta is over, we're just in normal hockey territory again. But, man, the Avalanche, they, they do look like they should probably walk away with this, you know, when we come around in a few weeks. Dude, their team is just so deep. It's unbelievable. They just don't have any necessary necessarily proven winners like uh guys who have been there done that before on this roster but i think that they're gonna have enough with you know their superstars in mckinnon and mccarr and their great captain landis cog some of their role players like nazem kadri on this team has just been great leave fans eat your heart out <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i was gonna suck uh, <laughs> uh, but i know that um their goalie got injured in game one, if I remember correctly. I don't know. You probably have more information than me. Darcy like, Kemper? Yeah, do you think that's going to affect the abs much? No, nah, man. I think Kemper should be fine for the rest of the series, and they're not a team that necessarily re- is relying on their goaltending. They've, they've got a lot of offensive firepower, just like yeah. Edmonton. I mean, Smith isn't great, neither is Miko Koskinen. They were still able to get by the Flames. So, at the end of the day, this is two teams that play a very offensive-minded style. I mean, Gretzky ripping on them, saying that he would have loved to play in this kind of playoff hockey, that you got to play defense to win, uh, just kind of is an underlying factor of the style of play that these guys have. Absolutely. Oh, Gretzky, you got to get in there and just, you know, rattle around the young guns a little bit. But I'm not upset. You know, I love goals. Goals are exciting for me as a, you know, quasi-hockey fan, you know, fake hockey fan sometimes, the Canadian that I am. Dude, when you get 14 goals in a playoff game, um, nobody's upset about it. Even the losing fans, you know, they, they still got some entertainment. They got to watch six of their own goals, so pretty pretty hype not just goalies lie. goalies are upset that's the only thing the, the goalies across the field are, are upset about that many goals <laughs> hey man they're a weird bunch anyways so so true all right anything else for the nhl my friend nah man i think uh you know the abs prediction is gonna hold true and, and we're on to basketball perfect well to start the lakers coaching job is officially the search is over they they figured it out they found Darvin Ham, an assistant coach throughout the league for the past few years. Giannis is hyped for him. LeBron is hyped for the signing. Will this mean the Lakers back to relevancy? Who knows, my friend? I don't have any idea. I mean, he's a rookie head coach. Been an assistant for a while around the league, like you said, last with the Bucks. Um, you know, he's worked with the Spurs as well. He's worked um, in Atlanta. I think it's a fine hire. Um, I just don't think like a coach is really going to change what the Lakers are. And this roster is just too mashed together. AD is too injury prone. LeBron is injury prone at this point in his career. Westbrook's shooting has fallen off a cliff. I I remember when he was at least a decent shooter. <laughs> yeah. Like he wasn't like Steph Curry by any means, but he wasn't unplayable and like not allowing him to shoot kind of bad, but that's where he's been the last couple of years. So, what, Darvin Ham's going to come in and fix his shot? 
I mean, that's what the Lakers fans are hoping for right now. You know, the guy's worked with Kobe. He's worked with Giannis. You know, he knows how to how to deal with a superstar. But, I mean, you've never dealt with a superstar ego like LeBron's. And, I mean, let's not even talk about Westbrook's ego at this point in time, right? So, it's going to be tough for them. And it's going to be tough to see what's going to happen. Because I don't think Westbrook is getting traded away, you know. The conversations about how the Lakers have to throw in a pick. Like, they're not just going to keep throwing in picks to try to find the right superstar. Like, they're stuck. They really need to figure this out, and apparently Darvin Ham is the answer. Yeah, at the end of the day, like you said, if they keep throwing in picks, when LeBron leaves in two years, they are going to be at the bottom of the league and giving away those you know top five picks every single season. So that is conducive to 10 years or 15 plus years of mediocrity, if not worse. So I'm with them, you know, keep your picks, hope that when LeBron leaves that, you know, you're bad and you can use them on some, you know, the next LeBron. It's going to be interesting, right? Lakers, I mean, they're always in in the media, always in the conversation because they are that big name team. But let's let's flip gears here a little bit. Let's talk about the Jazz. You know, small market, never really broken through. And now it seems like Quinn Snyder might be done here. You know, the front office has offered him an extension. They'd say, hey, we'd even take you back on your current contract that goes through to 2024, I believe. Um, So like two more seasons, if I have it correctly. Um, But Quinn is, you know, he's been there for, I think, eight, maybe six years or so now. He's looking like maybe it's time to move on from a team that just looks like they can't get it done in the playoffs year after year and I don't know man this is just another interesting part of where the Jazz are going to do what what's going to happen because they're kind of just fumbling their way through the offseason right now yeah I think after like you said eight years he's been the coach since 2014 they've had some really good rosters um, that he's just decided that this is probably the peak of, of what he can do here and if you really want to you know, get your name up there with the the Steve Kerr's, the Greg Popoviches, you know, those yeah. kinds of coaches, you're going to have to win the big one. And so he's going to have to look for a team that is going to make him a coach of, of a roster that's capable of doing that. Um, if I'm Milwaukee, I'm honestly going to look at him. I know that they're entrenched in the Budenholzer camp, but I think Quinn would probably be a better fit. Um, it's obviously that he didn't want to go to the Lakers, um, because of like what they've been doing to their coaches so we'll see where he ends up there aren't too many great you know coaching vacancies around so i don't know what what he's gonna do or where he's gonna land um but maybe taking a year off and waiting for that opportune job to come up is is probably the best decision i mean look at ime udoka right we didn't know the boston celtics job was going to be open he takes it now he's in the finals he's proven himself to be one of the better coaches in the nba um already in his first year here yeah, it's, that's the thing with the NBA right now. Coaching jobs seem to just show up consistently year after year. You're just waiting for this super team to fail or this team with these young guns to just not quite be there. You know, We joke about how you never want to be the guy that takes the job that is just waiting to be replaced by the coach who actually wins the championship. But hey, man, Brad Stevens did a pretty good job with that. I'm joking. I'm, I'm, I'm going in different directions now. But it will be interesting to see what Quinn Snyder does. And this Jazz team, there's still a lot of questions up in the air. Heck, the Raptors are apparently looking at trades even as well. But that's a conversation for later down. Unless you got anything else you want to say about Quinn Snyder, we can talk about Jokic and the Supermax, the deal that we all knew was eventually getting signed. Yeah. <laughs> How could you not sign the back-to-back MVP? Um, definitely one of the best players in the league. 
I know he doesn't look like the most athletic, most dominant NBA player, but the guy can dominate even at his pudgy size. He's a legend. You know, probably chilling on his horses, signing his Supermax, getting all the money, buying a, a brand new stable. I don't know. The guy lives his best life, you know, for a 42nd round or 42nd pick in Overall the draft. Pick, yeah. Like, insane that the story that Jokic has had, he absolutely deserves the Supermax. Now, will this be good for the Nuggets? Can the Nuggets eventually turn around their woes? That's a question for another time. I have hope, you know, maybe getting Jamal back, maybe getting Michael Porter back, but it would suck to have, you know, this type of talent in Jokic and this Supermax signed and then not have the flexibility to make it work because of injuries or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. Well, I think that if they're healthy next year, man, they're definitely going to make some noise in that Western Conference. The Western Conference is definitely going to be tougher next year, so, you know, doesn't guarantee them anything, but... Hey, they've they've got to sign the back-to-back MVP, right? Absolutely. Well, I think that's all of our side news. There's nothing else that I got going on right now. We can get into these games. Let's take it back to those Eastern Conference Finals. Miami-Boston, Game 6 happened, Game 7 happened, and just like Matt thought, Boston went through. Took them a little bit longer than anticipated, though. Yeah, man. I honestly thought Game 6 was definitely going to be in the bag. I didn't expect a 47-point, 9-rebound, 8-assist, 4-steal, 1-block game from Jimmy Butler. But Jimmy proving that he is that guy. What was that? Like his fifth 40-point game of the playoffs? The guy didn't have a 40-point game in the last three (laughs) regular seasons? Like, what is he doing? He's got a bum knee. He had averaged like 12 points in the previous three games. He drops 47 and then 35 in that game seven final, which like I didn't think was a great game. Boston was out to like a 15 point lead with three minutes left in the first. Like (laughs) it was pretty pathetic and they were up what like 13 points with three minutes left. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great, but nobody remembers that, right? People look at this game and they look at the score and they think about how close it was at the end and the comeback that Miami made, and they're like, "Oh, we got a banger of a game." That's how I think about it because I try not to think about the rest of the series. Everything before the last three minutes of this series is just gone in my mind. But Jimmy buckets, man, what a legend! But at the end of the day, the biggest thing for Miami, I think, came down to Kyle Lowry. Good Kyle in Game Six bad Kyle in game seven there's no other way to put it yeah I would agree I think Kyle was an important piece I think the fact that Bam not being aggressive and assertive he only had that one good game game three I believe it was where he was actually able to score and and kind of impose his will Robert Williams who you know he's a good defensive player um he's a good center shouldn't be able to control you like this you should be able to do something um against him as you know the heat's second best player and the reputation that bam Adebayo has around the league it was disappointing for me man for for bam to be upset that he wasn't in the defensive player of the year conversation and then have the playoffs that he's had now he's been great He's been good. He's been exactly what the Heat want, but he hasn't been more when they're needed. You talk about that game three that matters. Isn't that the Jimmy injury initial game, yeah, right? Like the second half, yeah. Cool, you've maybe stepped up in these moments when all dire need, like you're the only hope, but like you've got to help out Jimmy more. You've got to help out Kyle more, you know? There, there has to be more from Bam, and 
it's now three playoff years in a row that we've seen where we keep asking for more from Bam. Is his jumper going to hold? Can his midi survive? And usually it's come up it's come up tails for for him when he needs it to come up heads. So I don't know what the future means for Bam, but it's kind of scary at this point. Well, I think it's proven that he can't be the number two option on that team. I think that really it's shut the door and the window on Miami's championship hopes. Um, I think this was probably their best year to do it with the team currently constructed the way that it is. They're paying Kyle Lowry over $28 million a year. Um, and the next two seasons of Kyle Lowry aren't going to be better than this one. And he had his worst points per game average um, since his first year with the Raptors. Um, he's going down. You got Tyler Hero who couldn't stay healthy and then is coming out saying that he needs to be a starter when, you know, maybe he's earned it by his regular season play, but he definitely didn't earn it in the playoffs. And Not so you're year. looking at all of this and, I just think that that was really Miami's best shot at getting to another finals. Uh, Jimmy Butler is going to be a year older. His knees are going to be that much worse. I just think that this was it for them. And unfortunately, Miami fans, you're going to have to start retooling and find your next Jimmy Butler because <laughs> at the end of the day, like, yeah, Bam is young, but you can't build a championship caliber team around Bam. No, we've, we've seen that. And also, let's not forget that you know, they were back to relevancy. They had a good team. They had good players, but the NBA's fickle. There's always a young team ready to come up and, and take your place. And, like, I don't feel bad for Miami because they've had these great moments. They've had these awesome runs to the playoffs after a team that got abandoned by LeBron and then kind of just disappeared throughout throughout the rest of their years, right? Like, they just kind of got forgotten about in the East, and this was their, their time to, to come back and, and be relevant again. And, like you say, I, I think I'm with you, man. I think it might just be over. There's there's too much going on. I think that they need to figure it out. They need to find an answer, and Bam's not it. Tyler Hero, I don't think can be it. So, yeah, who is your next number one of the future, right? Like, that's, that's I guess, the next question for Miami. Yeah, so, unfortunately for them, that's how it ends. And for Boston, it's looking like this could be, you know, the start of something great. Uh, Jason Tatum winning Eastern Conference Player of the Series, or Final Series. I don't like that. I think Jimmy Butler outplayed him. Yeah. Just so, just because he was on the losing team. I mean, it's Game Seven, that close. If there was one person in that Finals, a Conference Finals, who needed to be the best player every single game for their team to win, it was Jimmy Butler. Jason Tatum could be not necessarily the best player on his team head and shoulders you know he could be one of the best and have brown yeah. smart horford pick up some of the extra slack and still win those games so for me it was butler butler won the three games that <laughs> miami played like yeah maybe game three i guess you could give give it to bam but you know they don't even have a chance without jimmy butler but and that's also why jimmy took that shot you know, people are ripping on Jimmy for the shot that he took at the end of the game, but, like, that shot goes down, Jimmy's legacy is way up here. He, you know, he is the, the Finals MVP of this series, and he is deservingly so, right? Capping off, you know, a, it would be a 37-point game or, or whatever. Like, who who cares, this, that, or the other thing? Like, yes, maybe Jimmy should have driven and gone to OT, but they were dead. That team was dead. Miami had nothing left. 
and like that's a Jordan-esque shot. That's a shot that puts a team away, that puts a crowd like that, that, that puts the crowd up in arms. Like it would have been unreal and it would have been legacy defining, but instead, it's a bad shot. I think it was the right shot to take. I think at the end of the day, like you said, he was going going for the win. He was you know, probably aware of how tired his teammates were, how tired he is, his knees, the oh, fact yeah. that they had to take that, you know, three-minute flurry just to be even close in the game again. You get into overtime, you're probably going to get blown out. He wants to end it then and there. And if he drains it, if it goes down, nobody's talking about it's a bad shot, and we're talking about the heat in the finals. So... I like I like the confidence, man. You got to believe in yourself. You got to take it uh, to make it. And playing for overtime, there are you know so many things that could have gone wrong. There was you know 13 seconds left. Let's say he goes up, he scores, and you know maybe he even gets an and one. Let's say yeah. he even gets an and one. So I'm giving him the extra. Now Boston still has you know 12, maybe 10 seconds left to get a three point shot. Too much and time. who do they have on their team? Jason Tatum, who can hit. One of the hardest three-point shots. Like, he's one of the best shot, tough shot makers in the league right now. And with the confidence, and, like, I know that kid's a killer. He's probably hitting a three. Now you got to hit another two, like, to get to overtime. Like, it's there's too many things that could happen. I really liked what he did. I'll stand by it. Look at what Boston did to the Bucks. Look at what Giannis tried to do against Tatum, right? Like, it's, it's a simple question, and obviously we haven't brought up the Struce three-pointer that got overturned, the whole out-of-bounds situation. I don't want to get into it too much because, again, it, it is the controversy of the game. It's a different story. It's, it's The ending of the game is completely different depending on what happens, but it's just crazy how long it took them to figure it out. To, it took them so many minutes after the play to make that decision. It, it just The momentum change is, is, is crazy to affect it. I feel like you just have to leave it there. At the end of the day, you made a mistake, and if you, like, even if you say he's out of bounds, it's six minutes later. It's going to affect the flow of the game. Absolutely. The six-minute <clears throat> gameplay that we already had would have been different had the bucket counted or not counted. Um, so you know, momentum, mental state, mindset—like it, it just changed everything. I hated it. Um, but hey, man, what are you going to do? Boston got the breaks and, and they're here in the finals and I honestly think they've got the best shot at winning this thing man I, I can't go I can't disagree with you there the last thing that I want to say is you know watching Jimmy take that shot all I could think to myself was maybe the basketball gods are gonna give back the three-pointer that's no it's an air ball so that was a sad way for it all to end but let's talk about the finals man we're here we've made it Golden State versus Boston. Game one is tonight. If this series goes seven, we've got two more weeks of basketball, Matt. Am I excited about that? Yeah, I could be excited about that. But also, like, there's like three days between games every once in a while. That's not okay in my mind. But I mean, we got to let the players rest. I love how getting to this point is all about, oh, every other day, the playoffs is a grueling grind. <laughs> oh, you got to make them work for it, work for it. Oh, in the finals, we're just going to give you three days off in yeah. between games? What? Yeah. It makes no sense to me, man. But, you know, it's going to be an interesting series, right? Regardless of whether these players get to have rest, you know, this will allow Gary Payton to return off of his injury. This will allow the Celtics to get healed up from all the different things they go, got going on. Golden State can get healthy, and hopefully it can mean 
good basketball because I don't care, Matt, who wins. I mean, obviously, I, I'm, I'm Team Golden State right now, but I don't care who wins. I just want good games. I want bangers back and forth. I want a series that the NBA Finals deserves. Every other team has gone home. All the fan bases that care, all the players that care are tuning into these finals. Give us a good series. Please, basketball gods. That's all I want. I honestly think it's going to be a great series, man. I think that these are two of the best teams in the NBA. Um, they've proven that throughout the year, Boston specifically in the second half. I think the way that Golden State started the year, if um, you know, we remember 30 games into the season, Golden State was looking like the best team in the league, and they didn't yeah. even have Clay back, you know, and it wasn't even that close. Like Everyone was like, oh, Phoenix might be there with them, but then Golden State kind of got injury-prone, and they fell off a little bit, and everyone was on the Phoenix train. Um, but I'm pretty sure, like, episode 80 or something, I called, you know, Golden State to the finals. And here they are, man. I just, I think Boston has way too many ways to match up with them defensively for their offense to keep humming along. And I just think that Boston's going to be too long, too lanky for them. And it's, it's going to overwhelm Golden State and put them in a difficult position where they can't win. I mean, I, I'm I understand where you come from completely, right? Like, a lot of people are looking at the the top end side of the conversation, right? Looking at Curry, looking at Tatum, looking at the best players of each of these teams as the decision making factors. But I'm kind of over here thinking about, you know, you mentioned how Boston's going to have these lengthy options. Well, is Golden State going to be able to break into their war chest? Can Kuminga? Can Moody? Can any of these guys who haven't been a huge staple? in the playoffs so far, come in and help extend the roster, extend the minutes, right? Because, I mean, I'm pretty sure Kuminga came in and had an 18-point game, you know, just the other day in, in, in the last series that we saw. So Golden State is going to be tested, and Steve Kerr is going to have to figure out his rotations because I agree with you that I think Boston has more options. They have more proven options in the playoffs so far. So it's I, I think you're right. It's going to be a fun series. It's going to be a tough one to call. But at the end of the day, as long as they shoot, right, as long as everyone is shooting well, because we know the defense is going to be great for both teams as long as they're locked in. As long as the ball goes down and they're shooting, we're going to have some exciting moments. Yeah, and I think if you just think about the last series that Golden State was in with the Mavericks, um, some of the key factors weren't necessarily Clay, Dre, and Steph. It was Kevin Looney. It was mm -hmm. Andrew Wiggins you know, doing their thing. And, and Kevin Looney, like, you know, looked like an all-star. And I think Robert Williams is going to erase that factor. I think Andrew Wiggins is going to play tough defense against Jason Tatum, but Jason Tatum is also more athletic than Luka Doncic was, and that's kind of how Wiggins was able to stop him and, and impose himself defensively, was being the more athletic one. And that's going to be challenged. I think that on the other end of the spectrum, Smart is a better defensive guard than Curry's played, you know, in the playoffs or in any NBA finals of his career. Yeah. And, you know, Freddie gave him a, a hard time back in our finals. I know he dropped that, like, 30-point finals game that one time or that 40-point finals game, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Fred Van Vliet was in his shirt for most of that series. Smart's going to make it harder. Brown's going to make it hard on Clay. You know, Tatum can lock up Wiggins. Like, it's going to be very difficult for Golden State to find the area that they have an advantage in. And 
I really actually think Grant Williams is starting to make himself into a Draymond Green type player. Absolutely. So Draymond Green isn't as good as Grant Williams is on the offensive end. And I think on the defensive end, they're pretty comparable, especially at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. Draymond's lost a step or two. And I think Grant Williams is, is just starting to hit his stride. So, again, if you're asking me where it's going to go, I think the team hitting their stride going into their peak as opposed to moving out of their peak, coming, out of, coming off of injuries, you know, being back to the mountaintop, I think the team coming for it, I think that's the one that's going to win. And, and Boston really has been chugging along. Like, you have to consider already this is the greatest turnaround in NBA history, regardless of whether they win a championship or not. This team, people were saying, needed to blow up a month into the season. This team was terrible. They were fighting in the locker rooms. There were things going on. Like, Smart came out and told Brown and Tatum they needed to pass the ball. Like, there was chaos chaos going on with this roster and for them to turn around and end up where they are is amazing and it's why the momentum is under them it's why they're so ready to potentially go all the way and i mean you think about the teams that boston has had to beat, right like they have taken on a defender or sorry a contender in every single round so far it's a fact not brooklyn People considered them a contender. I'm going to consider them a contender, even though it's the first round, right? The easiest, the easiest, it's Kevin Durant, whatever. We'll move on. Let's not think about that. Let's think about the fact that while they've faced contenders, they haven't really faced the type of ball movement and style that Golden State has. So that's the real test. But then the other side of it is that Golden State hasn't really faced a true contender. Yes, they had to deal with Luka, a true superstar, you know, but when it comes to the same level of difficulty that what Boston has gone through in the East, it's it's incomparable teams-wise, in my opinion. That's a tough one for me, because as great as Miami was all season, I don't necessarily hold their roster in that high of regard. I kind of see it in a similar mold to a Dallas roster, um, with one, you know, amazing player who can get you a 40-point triple-double, and then a bunch of role players and a bunch of guys who, you know, need to be hitting their shots in order for that team to win. Um, Boston, or I mean, the Bucks didn't have Middleton. So they're missing their second best player. Again, they have one amazing player and a bunch of role players. Yes, Drew Holiday's probably better than a role player, but a bunch of role players who need to hit their shots in order for them to win. Whereas now they're coming up against, you know, Clay Thompson, who in game five shows you he can take over a game. You know, Steph Curry can show you that he takes over a game. Andrew Wiggins, that if he takes it as seriously as he took his defensive assignment against Luka Doncic, could be one of the better players in the NBA. Oh, yeah. So I think that, you know, that's going to be difficult for Boston. They, they, I don't think they've played a team this tough yet. And, and so. that's why it's a fun conversation, right? And that's why you we're expecting a good series because both of these teams have had their paths to get here and they've had the obstacles that they've had to overcome, but there's no real team that is exactly the makeup of what they're facing now, right? Like, you know, the amount of times, you know, you talked about how the Raptors were like a baby Miami, right? Like, there there will be times in the playoffs where a team in the first or second round faces a team that is the baby version of who they're going to face in the finals, and they will have prepared themselves with a type of style of play. I think both these teams are coming in, and they're going to have to really 
figure each other out, figure out new styles of play, figure out who's going to fit, you know? Golden State's real happy that Gary Payton is going to be available for Game 1 because he's just another option. I think that this game is really going to be a chess match. The whole series is going to be a serious chess match, you know? Idoko and Kerr are really just going to butt heads, and I'm excited to see if Kevon Looney can have those moments. I'm going to be excited to see if Grant Williams is shooting threes for days, right? Like, that's the beauty of what we have ahead of us, and that's why I'm looking forward to a good NBA Finals. Yeah, and I think it's it's definitely going to be a feeling out process, like you said. I don't think that um, GS has seen a defense like this, and I don't think Boston's no. seen an offense that moves the ball like this, right? Like, against Brooklyn, yeah, they had two offensive superstars in Kyrie and KD, but a lot of that's iso ball, creating your own play. Uh, with Giannis and the Bucks, it's all about Giannis. With, you know, Jimmy and the Heat, it's all about Jimmy. So this is going to be a, a good test for Boston's defense. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the Raptors would have been a really good test for Golden State to get ready for this Boston team. Because I actually think the Raptors are a little bit of a baby, you know, Celtics roster in terms of the kind of players that we have and the kind of length and, and strength that we have on our team. Um, I think that's a good time to roll into Raptors chat if you're in, if unless you wanted to keep talking about this finals. I mean, the only thing that I want to say about this finals is that we're we're talking about a legacy series now. We're talking about Curry, you know, extending his legacy, putting himself, you know, in that echelon of greatness on the one side. And on the other side, we're talking about Tatum, who wants to create that legacy, who wants to start to add himself into that conversation of greatness. So that that's the only thing that else I want to say, that I'm excited for this series to come full from. Absolutely, man. I mean, at the end of the day, you got Tatum, who's going to be, you know, one of like I think five or six players ever to have a first team all NBA to have um, you know led his team to a to an NBA championship and probably win finals MVP before the age of 25 if he can get it done as opposed to um, you know Curry who could probably cement himself as a top 10 player of all time so pretty crazy pretty crazy all he's missing is that finals MVP all right that's all he's missing yeah so he's got to go get it um, but you know what, man? A guy who's going to build his legacy with the Raptors is that guy, Scotty Barnes. And I think maybe if you'll allow me, we'll talk about who do you think is going to be the most important players on the Raptors' next championship squad. So how many of these guys do you think are still going to be on the roster when we do win a championship, our next championship? And uh, who do you think are probably going to be? Let's give me give me three guys who are your most three important players. Um, for our next championship run. I mean, obviously, Scotty is our number one pick. We, we've realized that we love him. We think he's going to be the answer. And he has the versatility to be a superstar, and he's young enough, right? Then yeah. when you get to that 2-3, you start to question yourself, right? Because is this championship happening in two years? Is this championship happening in five years? The more realistic version of, of the championship, obviously. And when you think about five years from now... Pascal's old. Fred's old. One or both of them could still be around. In Matt's mind, preferably only one of them is still around. But I don't think I could put either of them as that 2-3 because of where their age will be. Maybe important importance-wise for culture, but not statistics. When I think about statistics and what is going to matter, I think about Precious. Because I think that him and Scotty are going to develop together, and I think that they're going to grow with their friendship, and then that one-two punch, right, of your ball handler and your big are going to really develop together. So I see Precious as being either that two or that three. And then you have to figure out, is it OG? 
Is it Gary Trent or do you want one of Fred and Pascal? So I don't even know if I could put a third, right? Like, it's so hard there. No, that's fair, man. I, I kind of like what you did with it and where you went. Um, I would agree. You know, Scotty's definitely the most important player on our roster. He has the most potential, and it's not even that close, really, if you think about it. No. And then I, I agree with you that OG and Gary Trent Jr. are definitely going to be probably the two more statistical important options out of you know the, the five other core pieces that we have. Yeah. Um, I like that you mentioned Precious, but for me, I think it's got to be Fred Van Vliet, man. Um, I think Fred Van Vliet is our culture setter. I think he's our Kyle Lowry. Um, he does so many things so well, and he kind of is like a mini version of Steph Curry in the way that he can move off the ball and catch and shoot and, and that kind of offense that he brings. Um, so I would I would definitely have him in my top three. And I think if I'm going to lean OG Precious or Gary Trent, I'm going to lean OG. Um, but apparently we might be trading him. Yeah. And I don't think that that's the right case. I think that out of the, the core six that we have, Siakam is our player to trade if we make a trade. Because at the end of the day, I don't necessarily think that we're going to make a trade this uh, this offseason, and I don't necessarily think that we need to make a trade this offseason in order to improve our roster and improve our shot. Um, but Siakam is the player who, in two more seasons, you know, after next season, he's going to be on the wrong side of 30. Um, after next season or the next two seasons, he's going to be up for another max contract again. Um, he's hit kind of his peak value right now. It was down there for the last couple of years because of, you know, the bubble playoffs and then the Tampa Bay Raptors season. He's back to being, you know, an all-NBA player. He's back to being a guy on a playoff team who can win you games in the playoffs in the eyes of the league. And I think this is when you cash in on that value because at the end of the day, I think he's shown you where his ceiling is and it's a very high ceiling, you know, for an NBA player. It's, it's, you know, top 25 in the league, but top 25 in the league isn't what gets you to championships. And I think that if we can cash in and bring some backcourt players to our team, which is, you know, the area of need that we have the most, I think that's the play personally. Mm -hmm. Valid, absolutely valid. You know, you talk about needing backcourt players. It's why I was looking at maybe Gary and Fred as being the most important for being three for me. Fred, because of all the reasons you mentioned and the fact that he is Raptors culture at this point in time. He he defines culture. And you think about your like imagine yourself as a rookie coming into the league, and the leader of your squad, the guy who you look up to, is is a player who didn't get drafted, who bet on himself and has gotten as almost as high as you can get as a player. You know, there's certain echelons that he can get higher. You know, he can reach that superstar tier. He can reach that All-NBA. You know, there's all of these little things. But to have that type of player as your inspiration, I mean, that's pretty good. And if Fred can be less selfish, just slightly selfish, that's what he is. We have to, we have to remember that. If he can be less selfish as he grows, I think he'll be important. But Gary, on the other hand, is the shooter, right? Is the idea of, like, we need a shooter. We need that to happen. And when you, when you flip it back to the idea of the Pascal trade, we're talking about a trade, which means that we're getting assets because we're not talking about a trade for a superstar because that's not what we 
are going to hopefully find. I mean, hey, if Masai makes the magic happen, I'm not going to be upset. But we're talking about gaining assets, getting better. And if you if you want that to happen, hey, let's look at our best available asset right now that's going to get us the most back. And also, we have to find space somewhere with all of these 6-9 guys. And I'm not giving up on Scotty. I love me some OG. I think Precious can't go anywhere. Where does that leave us, right? Well, we can't get rid of Precious because one, he is the the winning piece of the Kyle Lowry trade. Absolutely. I think I think it's clear right now. When when it happened, I don't think any Raptors fan thought that was a good trade for us. But at this point, with Precious proving what he proved this season, it was a it was a fantastic trade because now we have you know two under twenty two year old six nine lanky big wings as our you know two core pieces in that you could build around if yep. you know you decide that the Siakam Fred VanVleet experiment is kind of over and run its course which you know maybe another season is going to put our front office in that mind, mindset and i think it's more than you know fair to give them that extra season but i just i think we've already seen it i think it's it's this is the peak round 2 round 3 maybe at most and that's why i'm excited about the the next you know, future chapter of the Raptors and why I think we got to keep OG. He fits in with that timeline a little bit better than everybody else in in terms of Siakam. I hate to do it to Siakam, but man, I got to trade this man. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about. Who knows? If Golden State loses, maybe they're going to look to flip Kuminga Moody for Siakam, like was the conversation that we had, you know, all those weeks ago. It would be super sad for me to have Siakam leave at the end of the day. Matt knows that I'm a big Siakam fan, but when it comes down to it, when we're talking about where we want to see our team succeed, the best point is in the future. It's not right now, unfortunately for us, right? And heck, we were this close, right? Like, we could run it back. We could be in the NBA Finals next year, but that's a we could be, not a we will be. The thing is, is if you look at the young talent we have and you build the right roster around them it isn't a we could be in the NBA Finals it's a we will be contending for the NBA Finals we know that we've seen that with the talent that we have and that's why you gotta look at the top end and getting rid of something at the top so that everything else can rise up yeah I I 100% agree man I think moving off Siakam as tough as it is and as much as it probably brings our wind ceiling down from like 50 plus next year to you know maybe 45 I think in the long term when we're actually going to be competing for those championships it's going to be when it's the most important so I, I could not agree more with you my friend you talk about us you know dropping down in our total wins but I think our ceiling still stays the same a tough second round out you know what I mean yeah 100% man I think you know OG with a little bit of extra workload uh, Scotty Precious can all kind of pick up what we lose in Siakam. And if we're trading Siakam, we're probably getting, you know, a great asset back in terms of a young player or prospect, or we're getting the guard of the future that we want and who's already better than Freddie and and, uh, Gary Trent Jr., which would just be spectacular for our roster. That's the thing. We we have a couple of 
holes that need to be filled, and we've got a couple of extra pieces that can't seem to fit in with everything else. So if Masai can move the pieces around right, we can get some more options for our bench because we haven't even, I mean, we don't need to talk about it this week. We don't need to talk about what are we going to do about Boucher, about Birch, about our, our, our young guards, right? Like at the end of the day, we're looking at our starting six guys, our big, big core name six. talents of our team, our core. And we're looking at how can we make this into a core five with six, seven, and eight. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. Or even, you know, swapping out Siakam for another core piece, but just who's a little bit younger, who fits better into the construction of our roster. And at the end of the day, I know Masai's talking about loving the six, nine guys, but we definitely need some shooting on this team. And OG being a better catch-and-shoot shooter than, than Pascal and a better three-point shooter overall, I think we're we're making the case very clear here that it's got to be Siakam. Not that I'm saying that we need to trade him right away. Because, again, I think we could run it back and we'll be fine. Absolutely. And it really comes down to letting Scotty run with the team. That's the most important thing that I, that I got to iterate here before we before we move past the end of Raptor Shed is that we just want Scotty to be able to run the team so he can develop into the stupid superstar, the stupid, the stupid superstar that he's going to become that we know that he's capable of becoming. So exactly. if you if you don't get rid of our number one option. Anyways, I'm sad because Matt has fully convinced me now I'm on the trade Siakam train. Oh, gosh. But Atta anything boy. else, my friend? Anything else for Raps Chat? No, man. I think we're good to do some some mystic predictions. Um, y'all already know I already have Boston winning the series, but Boston's going to win the game tonight, steal it, and then that's what's going to you know allow them to close it out in six. This guy over here being bold. Golden State has not lost a home game in the playoffs so far. And that's why my prediction over here is going to be this guy. He's trying to ruin it for me. Now, we're looking at 2-1 this time next week. Golden State is going to hold on to home court advantage. It's going to be a series come Thursday. All right, man. We'll see. We'll see. I didn't. I wasn't bold enough to to do the full Golden State take, but hey, I did that last week, so we'll be super happy. Anything else, my friend, or shall we wrap up? No, man, you're good to wrap us up. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for being here. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at the Board Sports. Like, subscribe, give us that thumbs up, whatever you need. Check out theboardsports.net for new episodes and blog posts. And we'll talk to you next time.